You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hey everybody, welcome into the Rocky Top Rewind at VolQuest.com and on the VolQuest YouTube channel. As always, please like this video if you're watching us on YouTube and subscribe to the channel. He's Brent Hubs, I'm Eric Kane. we got a full hour ahead of you here tonight on the Rocky Top Rewind. Hope everybody's having a good Sunday and a good start to their week. Plenty of things to go over in terms of Tennessee football news. A new offensive coordinator, some transfer portal targets on campus this past weekend, some junior days coming up. Tennessee basketball is looking really, really good right now. Brent Hubbs, a lot to discuss, but I would say the big news of the week, Tennessee named its offensive coordinator, and it's promoting quarterbacks coach Joey Halsey. Not a whole lot of big news if you're a VolQuest.com subscriber, but uh, Joey Halsey is going to pick up where Alex Golish left off and try to keep this train on uh, on the tracks. Yeah, and, and again, no surprise. I mean, I think when you heard Josh Heupel talk in um, – Miami at the the bowl site, he referenced it a couple of different times uh, about the comfort level he had with Glenn Ellerby and Joey Halsley and how they had worked together for a long period of time. He mentioned that in Knoxville before they went to the bowl site. So it all made sense. We, we know how protective of his offense that, that Josh Heupel is. He wasn't going to hire somebody, a big name guy, pay him a couple million dollars and turn the offense over to him. That's not the way Josh Heupel is going to go about this business with his uh, with his offense. So so no surprise, I think, again, Josh Heupel is going to call all the plays, which which doesn't surprise anyone, Eric, and going to go out and hire him a tight ends coach, and that's where the search is now, is who does he go hire? Uh, this is going to be a guy who I think is going to be a, rec- a guy with some strong recruiting ability um, or, or some name recruiting ability, if you will, and, and then uh, probably a guy with some southern ties. I think that would make the most sense. Not a guarantee, but – uh, I think that that would be the likely scenario right now as Josh Heupel is out there um, starting to really look for um, this position and, and try to get this position filled. You know, there's always stuff for a head football coach to be doing. Recruiting never stops. Of course, you got transfer portal targets, all that type of stuff. You're getting a new semester up and running with guys getting back into classes here in the next week or so. But what type of timeline do you think there is? Or is there one at all? Because we know Josh Heupel – it was in the back of his mind, but he wasn't actively going to fill this role for the last for the last month, month and a half, focusing on recruiting and the bowl game and all that. But that's over with and, and, and gone. Should we expect some type of hire in the next week, two weeks, somewhere in the near future? I don't think there is a timeline. It could happen that fast, but I don't think Josh Heupel has to be in that kind of hurry, Eric, uh, for two reasons. One, your recruiting class is done, so it's not yeah. like you got to get somebody on the road. You're not trying to hold a tight end. You know, you've already got everybody signed. Um I don't think it's going to hamper you with a transfer tight end. You've already got one. I don't know that they can get another one at this point. Um, so there's not the urgency in recruiting. Yes, this person could be on the road 
uh, out there visiting high schools and, and, you know, working 24s and 25s, but you can cover that with, with other coaches. If you want to, you can put a quality, you know, control guy out there, a, an analyst out there for, for the week or, or whoever you wanted to put on the week. I mean, heck he could put Scott Altizer on the road for a week <laughs> and, and have him tour the state if he wanted to. Uh, so there's not that kind of urgency with recruiting like you would typically see. Um, and the other thing that's going to happen is, you know, on Monday, what's going to happen in the NFL? The regular season ends tonight, um, you know, later tonight with, with the Packers and the Lions in that final game. And then on Monday, it's chopping block day in the National Football League. So who's looking for a job? Uh, th- does that change your candidate pool? Do you have somebody in mind in the NFL you want to talk to? All of those things can, can surface and be a factor in, in this search uh, for, for Josh Heupel. So I don't know that there is a timeline right now. Appreciate you guys for being in the chat already. Just send those questions in. We're going to get to them throughout the hour-long program. We're going to be on here on the Rocky Top Rewind until 9 o'clock Eastern time. Of course, Super Chats get you to the front of the line, and we always appreciate that. Uh, but Brent Hubs, back to, before we get into some of these questions, back to Joey Halsey. You know, he truly is an extension of Josh Heupel. He played for Heupel at Oklahoma when he was a quarterback on roster. Every stop Heupel's been, uh, Halsey's been right there as well. He's been with him for 15 years. You have Glenn Ellerby that's been with Josh Heupel for about eight years. Um, so this comes as no surprise. There was some talk about the potential of a pass game coordinator, run game coordinator, co-type situation. But in the end, it was a guy that's been with Heupel for the longest time and it knows the offense just as well as anybody on staff now other than Josh Heupel. And so it, it's no surprise either way that this was a Joey Halsey decision. Yeah, and, and I think Glenn Ellerby's very comfortable where he's at. I don't think Glenn Ellerby needed a title, so there, there wasn't any reason to do the co thing uh, at, at this point. I, I think Joey Halsley's you know path is pretty interesting. I mean, here's a guy who got into coaching right out of college, um, was, as you mentioned, with Josh Heupel along the way until Josh Heupel um, – you know, went to to Sal or to Central Florida, then then Joey Halsley went and got in private business, you know, and and was in the private sector trying to make a living and you know going to raise kids and be a family man and said, you know what, I miss football, and, and he ended up back with with Josh Heupel. All you need to know about Josh Heupel's trust in Joey Halsley is the limited viewing we get on the practice field. Josh Heupel, who is a former quarterback, who is a Heisman Trophy finalist, doesn't meddle. In, in quarterback individual drills when we're out there. You know, he's not hovering over Joey Halsley on footwork and technique and all those types of things. I mean, he trusts the fundamental development of his quarterbacks to Joey Halsley. I think that says a lot about where Josh Heupel's belief and trust is in Joey. Now, Joey's got to grow as a coach. He's not ready to, to – to, he's not a plug-and-play guy, Eric, that you put in and tell him to go call the offense. But, but it tells you a lot of the trust – that Josh Heupel has in Joey Halsley, that he turns his quarterbacks over to him. Because a lot of quarterbacks want to coach their own quarterbacks. And Josh Heupel is not meddling in all the fundamentals and, and the footwork and all that stuff uh, with, with his quarterbacks coach. Yeah, Josh Heupel called the plays for the Orange Bowl. Would assume that he would you know, be calling the majority of the plays in 2023. And, I mean, it wasn't just a – whenever Alex Golish got on staff at Central Florida – it was Josh Hopple saying, okay, Alex, here's here's my play sheet. Go ahead and call my plays. It it took a little while. And in the end, it wasn't just Golish. It wasn't just Heupel. It was a, a mixture of both of those guys working for one common goal who had a whole lot of trust in one another. So I, like you, I want to be interested to see kind of in this transformation from quarterback's coach to offensive coordinator, 
over the years, kind of kind of how much more of that responsibility. It probably won't be a lot early on, but maybe it'll grow as the season goes on and ultimately as the years go on. So Tennessee has announced that Joey Halsley is the offensive coordinator. Tennessee's still looking for a tight ends coach. Going to take your questions throughout the night. Let's go to Maxter, or Master X here. Wanted, wanted to get into some basketball. And we're going to have Rob Lewis on at 8.30 to talk Tennessee basketball. Uh, Olivier's stellar play thus far, is it sustainable or is it just a flash in the pan? I'd say what, uh, Brent, his his offensive numbers the last two games has been perfect from the field. It's been great to see. But his rebounding at South Carolina was more of note for me. He got 10 boards where he got, what, was it one board against Mississippi State? That's where I think Rick Barnes was most pleased in the efforts for Olivia Kumwa. Yeah, and and you know if he if if Olivia doesn't get in foul trouble at Ole Miss, you, we might be talking about three games here where he's put up big offensive numbers because he was off to a really good start, and Ole Miss seemed to have a hard time dealing with him on the offensive end, and and then he got into foul trouble that sent him to the bench early. Uh, I, I think when you look at this thing, um, er, Eric, that you know you mentioned it, it, it's the rebounding. You know, can, can he can he sustain, you know, on the rebounding end and put in that kind of effort to rebound. Uh, his mid-range game is great right now, and and I don't, I, I don't have any. I mean, I know he can make a three, but but he just needs to 15 feet in go play basketball because I yeah. think he's playing um, really well right now from 15 feet in. The ball at the top or at the free throw line has been money for him for for two, really three games now. If you go back to Ole Miss, I think he's playing well. Um, I think he's very driven. He's obviously getting more and more healthy and getting more and more comfortable. You know, for, from the injury he suffered a year ago. I think it's a very positive thing. And again, when when you get inside and outside going the way Tennessee's had it had it going the last two basketball games, offensive basketball suddenly looks easy. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, we're we're on this show talking a few weeks ago about how big of a struggle it was for this team to <laughs> score and got laid. And you, I mean, I think Rob even said you just if you're looking for pretty basketball, this is probably not going to be your favorite team to watch. You go watch the last you know, two, two basketball games, four halves of basketball games. And you're like, what are you talking about? I mean, it's beautiful to watch right now. And it's because they're making shots, you know, they're making shots inside and outside. And um, they, they, the good news is they built and, and carried that from the Mississippi state game in Knoxville on the road with them to Mississippi state, which I think is a positive. Now, again, you want to play your best basketball at the end of, of the year in, in, in March and April. I don't think they're going to sustain doing what they've done the last two games, whether it's as a team or as individuals. I just don't think that's realistic. There's going to be lulls. There's going to be struggles. There's going to be nights where the ball doesn't go in the basket very well. And so as a result of that, yes, to answer his question, it's probably not sustainable in the way we see have seen it the last two games, but there's certainly a lot of positives of where this offense is right now. Tell you what, what I like, and I, I saw Rob put this on the board earlier today, but you're bringing Jonas Adu, Zakai Ziegler, Jamon Meshack, and jo- Josiah Jordan-James, and Toby Awaka all off the bench right now. I mean, that, that's a starting five, and that's a starting five that can compete. And uh, I just think the depth and the quality of, uh, you know, the, the deeper you can go is just going to help uh, this team as it goes on throughout the season and ultimately into March. Uh, let's go ahead to Vols to the Wall, and I really like this question here, and then we'll, uh, we're will we going to get Matt Ray to come on and join us here in a couple of minutes. Who is the highest ceiling in 2023, Vols basketball, baseball, or football? Um, you can make the argument for either one of these teams, but I will say baseball, Brent, because to win baseball series and games, you have to have arms. You have to have pitching. Tennessee has an All-American starting rotation. It's got some good arms in the back of the bullpen. 
The offense isn't going to be bad either. I would say baseball, probably the highest ceiling in my opinion. Yeah, I think, you know, what's the definition of ceiling? Um, I think baseball is the hardest sport to get to the college, to, to go play for a championship. I, I think that's the greatest grind in postseason when you talk about conference championships and you talk about regionals and super regionals and then take a deep breath, you get to Omaha and you're in a whole different world. That's a season yeah. within itself in Omaha. So um, I, I think it's the hardest thing to do to, to get there in baseball. Um, Basketball is a little bit different. You got to get hot at the right time and, and you want to make sure you're hot at the right time. Tennessee has not been that team the last few years. This ceiling of this basketball team is good, but there's been a lot of teams that were worthy of winning a national championship or being a final four team that never got there because they had one bad night shooting the basketball. Um, so yeah, I'm with you. I would probably say baseball because of those arms, but again, the ceiling in baseball is harder to reach in my opinion than it is in, in basketball. Um, and in football, I mean, listen, I I think football is going to be solid next year, but I just, there's going to have to be some kind of drop off. You don't lose some of the talent they're losing off this team and not have some growing pains along the way, trying to figure out who you are and what you're doing. And I'm with Austin. I, I think the defense will take a big step next year, and the offense should be fine. But again, you can't you can't continue to break school record after school record offensively every single year. At some point, there's going to have to be a plateau, and then you you know, uh, college sports is you you, re- you bring in, you recruit, you develop, and then they're off, and and then you start over, and that's kind of where you are in certain spots on the offensive end. Speaking of recruiting and bringing in. What's Tennessee looking like in the class of 2024? We're going to bring on uh, new VolQuest.com staff member Matt Ray when we return right here on the Rocky Top Rewind. Welcome back into the Rocky Top Rewind, VolQuest.com, and on the VolQuest YouTube channel. Thank you so much for watching, hanging out with us here today, sending us in your questions. Reminder, Super Chats get you to the front of the line. Any questions for Brent, for myself, or for this guy joining us right now, Matt Ray, new to VolQuest.com. He's been in the recruiting scene for the last couple of years now. He is a part of our team, and he'll continue to cover recruiting. Matt, what's going on, man? What's going on, guys? Matt, dude, I'm, I'm excited to start working with you, man. We've been talking about it for months. We're really, really excited. I think Brent has built, you know, obviously the – the star players myself, but Brent, you know, a lot of good quality, you know, guys here to this team and your passion is recruiting and you're going to be covering recruiting at a high level. Uh, you know, wh- why do you like recruiting and, and when did you kind of start getting into that world? Yes. Yeah, you know, I started getting into recruiting about 2018 um, when that class was going out. And, you know, I think you and I talked about this the other day, Eric, but it was just kind of my way into the industry, just an opportunity to, to get out work, build my own relationships and try to um, establish some footing in the industry and was able to do that, started my own site and, and continued to work, work for Sports Illustrated for two and a half years. And then, um, you know, had some talks with Brent and Austin and it just felt like that was something I couldn't pass up. Uh, I think, as you said, continue um, to be the standard in, in this market and, and really across the industry in a lot of ways. So to, to have the opportunity to work alongside you guys is, is exciting to me. and I'm excited to get started in this 2024 class. Yeah. I'm going to brag on Matt for just a second here. You know, one of the things that we're always looking for when you, when you try to find, you know, to, to step in and, and fill, you know, a void, or if you have an opening or you have an opportunity to grow in, in some ways, I'm always looking for someone who who's created their own path. 
And, and, you know, Matt did a great job of that starting out on his own, as he mentioned, and, and just looking for a niche. I mean, he, he broke in and started covering recruiting and started having, you know, some nuggets and some scoop along the way. And he didn't have, he hadn't established a bunch of relationships on campus. He was just out just grinding, talking to kids as often as, as he could. And, and, I think when you when you see people doing that, you know that that's one of the first qualities that I look for is for somebody uh, who, who knows how to go out and find and, and work and establish relationships. So we're excited to have Matt on board. It's a great time, Matt. It is an ever changing world in recruiting. Um, what you're covering today is not what you started covering in 2018. Um, you know, you got early signing period involved now. You've got the transfer portal involved now. Um, you know, you got summer official visits, spring official visits. It, it's very different. But where do you see kind of big picture the, the direction of this thing going a little bit? I, I asked this question because uh, Commissioner Sankey said earlier today in a story that's a, a, on three, um, Ivan Mazel had a couple different things from him. But one of the things Greg Sankey said today while he was out getting ready for tomorrow night's national championship game is he's an advocate for elimination of the early signing period. Um, and moving it back to the old February date or somewhere during that time and not clumping everything in the way it is in December now. Where, where do you think the direction of this thing's going? Well, you know, I think I think it has to go in that direction. I think it ha- I think they ha- there has to be some kind of shift. You know, we, we've heard coaches, we heard Kirby Smart um, at the end of last year come out and talk about how the demands of recruiting almost pushed him into an early type of retirement. Coaches are on the road recruiting on campus there's there's really you know you can call it a break or a dead period whenever you want but it, it ultimately ends up in three four days and these coaches get you know no break so I, I think you know in that article that you mentioned Brent um, you know Commissioner Sankey talked about that we're going to push some of our leadership out of the college football industry if we don't make changes and it's something that could be made as soon as this offseason possibly and I, I think that's the direction that it has to go you know, I, I've had coaches tell me before, you know, can't go to the movies with my family because I have to leave and take a call from a recruit. Um, you know, I could silence it, but if I don't, you know, he might turn around and call a coach that's at another school recruiting him, and suddenly they have, you know, that in for the time being. So I think it's something that has to change. I don't know how it changes. Maybe it's pushed back into January a little bit maybe not all the way to February, but something that can definitely change and, and take some stress off these coaches and these young people as well. You know, there's there's a lot in that time period for those guys too. So as, as the transfer portal windows evolve, you know, we're seeing high school kids want to get in the class earlier anyways. So I don't, I don't know collectively how you go about that, but there has to be some kind of change in my opinion. Yeah, Matt, this wasn't mentioned in the article that Brent's um, referring to it on 3.com from Ivan Menzel, but uh, there's been a lot of conversation, a lot of questions asked, and, and you know, John over here brings it up. If you're going to have an early signing period, why not just move it into the summer? Because there is, as we all know, there's that big push for OVs in July, and then it goes, or in June, and then it goes dead for a month, and then they're getting ready to play in their, their high school football senior seasons. Why not go ahead and get it done then? I see so many complications if that were to be the case, I think, as you pointed out, the direction, if it's going to move at all, has got to be more towards in the new year into January. I, I don't know. I mean, I can see that. Um, maybe not as early as July, 
but you know maybe something more mid October somewhere and then again you're right in the middle of the season so and again one of the challenges I think that that article highlighted is that you know you're going to expand the season with more playoff games you know coming up so yeah. how do you navigate all those challenges there there are certainly kids that I think are comfortable signing I think some quarterbacks would would commit and sign in July lock their spot in and go on but we see some of these skill guys that that flip their commitment three times from July to December and then sign with a team that you didn't expect in December. So I don't know, you know, that you'd necessarily go that early and I don't know how far you want to push it back. I just think you have to find a way to take some of this stress off these coaches. Yeah. There's, there's two things that stand out to me on both sides of that, uh, because one that, that if you sign early, even say it's September one, you, before your season gets into it, what coach is going to lose his job? Mm-hmm. Okay, where they're going to be changes there. How's that going to affect a bunch of kids who have already signed? They're going to all want to bolt out. So a new coach coming in is going to be in a really bad spot from, from a rebuilding standpoint. Okay, that's number one. The flip side, if you push it back into January or February, and I don't know the answer to this, but I wonder this aloud, Eric, does the transfer portal window mess with a high school kid's opportunity? And what I mean is, okay, you've got a three-star running back committed okay and instead of signing him in december you're going to sign him in january but then there's a transfer portal running back that comes in and you say i'm going to take him and i'm going to cut this kid's spot we're already seeing high school kids at lower levels lose opportunities because all of that level of schools are just waiting on portal kids to be available to them and it's eliminating some high school kids if you push it back past the transfer portal window does that affect a kid's opportunity? Maybe. Does it make it more real for a kid? Because at least the kid knows, right? Because now if you're a kid and you sign thinking you're going to play early and then the school you sign with goes and brings in two transfers at your position, now where are you going to play, right? Yeah. I mean, th- there's a lot of jockey in there, but I think the overriding thing is what Matt's talking about and what the commissioner's talking about. We are going to run good people out of this out of this industry, and off to the NFL if they can get there because there is no break. And, and December is the most horrific month to manage anyway. And if you're going to throw in a bunch of playoff games in there, two more weeks of playoff games, I, I don't I don't know how you get it done. I mean, because think about it. you got to interview your roster, okay, as the portal window opens to figure out who's leaving your team and who's not leaving your team. you got to talk to transfers who are looking to make quick decisions, you're trying to hold on to your recruiting class and finish that out. And, oh, by the way, you might be preparing for a game where you're hosting Michigan for a chance to advance in the college football no. playoffs. That's a rough week. I mean, that, that, that's, a, that's a lot on a coach's plate to get, to get done at that point. And, again, that's why I say, Matt, you might disagree with this, but a lot of people say, oh, coaches make so much money, they make way too much money. No, I, th- I think it's worth every penny. Just because of all that, Every I mean, you're a general manager, you're coaching, you're managing – you're trying to spin so many different plates. It's just, it's incredible. Uh, and also, Brent, I completely agree with you about maybe missing out on some spots. But Matt, what, what about a kid like Arian Carter right now? You know, he was at week three, week four. He jumped down, gained all those 15 to 20 Power Five offers, and it came down to Alabama and Tennessee. Say you have an early signing period, July 31 or September 1 or whatever. You know, Arian Carter is not signed by these two programs or whatever programs like Tennessee, Alabama. You know, good kids would miss out on opportunities right there. Well, yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. And that's a great example, Eric. I, th- I think one thing that we're going to see 
possibly along the way with this is high school kids commit and stick firm to getting that development. Whereas, you know, we're seeing guys jump in the portal. And if you're not a guy that has either one made an immediate impact at whatever school you were at, had a breakout season of some sort, you're usually moving down or you're coming in as a depth piece. So I think there's an opportunity that we see high school kids commit earlier and try to get their spot in the class and say, hey, you know what? It's going to have to be a little bit more old school. It's not going to be all about playing time anymore. It's going to be about keeping a roster spot, having one season, two seasons, and trying to get out and get to the NFL. You know, prime example, in my opinion, of, of a guy like that's Jalen Hyatt. You know, look what he did. We continued to hear his name from the time he got on campus, but it never seemed to click. This year, year three, has a big offseason, wins the Bolitnikov off to the NFL. I think you're going to have to see high school kids do that if they have the opportunity to get a spot because the transfer portal is just taking so much away from these high school kids right now. Matt, got a question here for you. Um, as, as we say goodbye here in the next couple of minutes, uh, we, we talk, you got to take care of in-state, lock down the border, uh, Tennessee class of 2024 in-state prospects. We mentioned a couple of those, obviously the, the Edwin Spillman's, you're going to hang on to Caleb Beasley, the Carson Gentles, you know, Boo Carter comes up. What's this in-state look like? And then um, a couple of prospects outside of Ryan Wingo that Tennessee loves from outside beyond the borders of the state of Tennessee with junior days coming up on Saturday and then the 28th. Well, you know, you touched on you know a handful of the in-state guys there. Caleb Beasley already committed. Edwin Spielman, you know, you and I talked about him last week on your Locked In podcast, but he's a guy that is going to continue to hear from Tennessee frequently, but he's going to do his due diligence in this process. He's going to take a visit to at least Florida State and Miami this month. We'll see where he goes after that if he speeds his timeline up, you know, coming out of January. But he's a guy that it can do a lot of things, sideline to sideline guy that, you know, seems like Tennessee covets at that linebacker position. Uh, Carson Gentle, a guy that's already committed Tennessee, had up to camp in the summer, and, and he you know, really was, for that particular day, the kind of the headliner of that camp. Tennessee had a chance to work him out, feel comfortable with him. He's in the boat, you know, a little, you know, less than two weeks later. Um Elsewhere in-state, we'll see where Tennessee goes with Boo Carter, but I, I think a guy to watch, and Austin has talked about this some as well, is Andre Evans at CPA, and we'll see if Tennessee's going to push for him. Uh, yeah, I think locking down the borders, Tennessee's done a good job of that in two years under Josh Heupel. Um, outside of the state, you know, I think everybody goes straight to Ryan Wingo. Um, but – you know, a guy that I would highlight is Daniel Calhoun at Centennial in Roswell, Georgia, a big offensive tackle that Tennessee had up, had the chance to impress during the regular season. Cam Pringle, the nation's top offensive tackle, a guy that Tennessee had up for a, vi a game day visit. And he said really good things about him coming out of that visit. Recently cut his schools down to six, and the Vols are in there. They're a contender. So those two guys are, you know, guys that aren't, going to be in probably this month. We'll see if they can get Pringle or Calhoun in later in the month, but Calhoun has some basketball um, that's, you know, kind of pushing his junior day schedule around right now. Um, but those those two guys, I think, as Tennessee continues to shore up the offensive line, are important. And then at the skill position, you know, a guy that says that he would like to get up to this junior day, and I think it could go a long ways for Tennessee to try to build some momentum there with an elite athlete is Mike Matthews at a Parkview um, in Georgia, 
He tells me that he's going to try to get up. He's another guy that's got a uh, basketball schedule and seven-on-seven schedule conflicting. But Tennessee had him up for the Alabama game and impressed. And he's an elite athlete on either side of the football, but the Vols like him as a receiver. Yeah, if you're watching this show now, you understand why why Matt Ray's a part of the VolQuest team. Let's bring a guy on that, that can just spout him off and, and rattle him off that way. Matt, Matt, as we let you go out the door, you got a series that's going to start um, on, on Monday uh, with the Tennessee signees, a, a little bit more of a bio, get-to-know-you type deal. G- give me your give me your favorite or give me your one best story of all the guys that you've talked to uh, That that that's a kind of good behind-the-seat anecdote or nugget about a kid that's going to roll out here throughout the month as we as we unveil those individual bios. Oh man, this this was a fun class, and I, I got to cover this class in a in a lot of different settings. And Nico came up to Knoxville, brought some guys with him, so you got to see him throw there. Got to see him throwing at OT seven. But probably my favorite one was John Slaughter at OT seven. He's out there playing with Nico. He's he had been to um, the he'd been up to Tennessee's select. Um, recruiting weekend a couple of weekends before thought about committing at the time and then gets to OT seven and starts talking about all these different offers. And then with everybody around, he starts kind of just throwing up vol signs, kind of telling everybody that he's committing in two days. So that, that was probably one of the more fun ones um, for me along the way he was trying to hide it, but he wasn't really trying to hide it. He had a lot of fun in Vegas. Um, so being around that, that, it seemed like half a signing class was out there in terms of skill guys. So that was that was a fun group to be around in Vegas for those few days. Well, we're looking forward to it, Matt, and uh, looking forward to you being a part of the team. Uh, again, we, we all respect your work and uh, excited to see what you're going to pump out here in the month of January and the months to continue in recruiting. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Thanks, Matt. Matt Ray, new Thanks. to VolQuest.com. Rob Lewis, who is not new to VolQuest.com. He's been here a minute. He's going to join us here when we return on the Rockets Out Rewind. 20, let's see here, it's uh, 15 of 15, 31 points, and 11 rebounds. That's a little bit of a stat line the last two games. Rob Lewis on that and a whole lot more for the Volunteers. 3-0 in SEC play. That's coming up next right here on the Rocky Top Rewind. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tennessee is 13-2, 3-0 in SEC play. Coming off back-to-back wins this week over Mississippi State and then South Carolina, where the offense really poured it on. Hey, I'm Eric Kane, Brent Hubbs, here on the Rockies Top Rewind, and Rob Lewis of AllQuest.com now joins the show. Uh, Rob, we know this is a great defensive team 
It's, you know, according to Ken Palm, the best in the country. But the offense the last two outings has been something to really get excited about here under Rick Barnes. Yeah, and, and you know, I don't I don't think Tennessee's going to shoot 64%, you know, from three-point range very often like they did against Mississippi State last Tuesday. But clearly that, you know, they have found something on that end of the floor that's clicking. And I, I don't want to oversell it because, you know, I think we can all agree. I don't, I don't think you know, Mississippi State and South Carolina are great teams. In fact, South Carolina – has a, has a little whiff of 0-18 in league play around them. But uh, very clearly, Tennessee is playing much better on that end of the court. I don't think it's entirely a coincidence that Josiah has been back for two games now, and it's you know, arguably been Tennessee's two best offensive games of the year. But, you know, the defense is going to be there every night. I mean, I, I feel pretty confident about that. And, it, and if these guys can just approach – 50%. I mean, 45, 44, 45, 46%. I mean, I, I think they can beat any, any team in the country. Rob, when you, when you look at this thing, is this a, is this improved shooting a product of Tennessee playing more inside out and the post players making shots that's opening up better looks uh, on the perimeter? Or is it that the perimeter shots are falling and it's opening up the post play for Tennessee? I mean, I think it's a little bit of both, but I would, I mean, you can't ignore the, in, the interior, what, what Olivier's gotten done, what, you know, Jonas Adu had, had a career high 15 at, at South Carolina, um, you know, had 13 points at, at Ole Miss. I mean, Rick wants to play inside out. He, he talks about it all the time. I mean, it's one of his, his tenets. So, I mean, I, I certainly think Olivier being as effective as he has been um, making defenses, you know, worry about him. Adu showing up, Tobey Awaka. I mean, what a story that kid is. I mean, when he's in the game, I mean, he's he's an offensive threat in the low post. But, uh, you know, I think the, the bigger thing to me is just, you know, Santi is is catching fire from, from deep uh, since SEC play started. He was shooting 27% from behind the arc um, in non-conference play. And since conference play started, those numbers have, have skyrocketed. He's now up to uh, 36% for the year and uh, in, in, in the top five in, in the SEC in terms of overall percentage. Josiah – has been knocking down shots from behind the arc the, the last couple of games. So, you know, I, I think it's a mixture, but I would, I think it's mostly guys who have been good shooters like Santiago over the course of their career, you know, kind of returning to the mean. But you can't ignore what Olivier has done and, and how he's, I would imagine, becoming a bigger part of opposing teams, scouts for Tennessee. It's good to see Santi getting back in there and shooting the way that he's been capable of, of course, shooting you know, well below his career average from the field and from three before you got into conference play. And now that's just that that switch has been flipped. You mentioned Olivier there. It, it's been really impressive. He hasn't missed a, a shot since December the 28th, but he got 10 boards the other day. And I think that's something Rick Barnes pointed out. Like, sure, he played well against Mississippi State, but the rebounding wasn't there. The rebounding was there on the road against South Carolina in a game that he has been looking forward to, has been circled on the calendar for quite some time. How big of a how big is that for Tennessee that he was dominant on the boards, not just um, in, in scoring in the paint? I mean, I, I think it's really big, and it wasn't just the the one rebound against Mississippi State. He had one total rebound in Tennessee's first two SEC games, which I think just about made his head coach's head explode, and uh, <laughs> that was communicated to him very clearly. And, and Olivier sure owned was. it. I mean, Olivier owned it after the South Carolina game. He's like, you know, hey, you know, coach was right. You know, that's you know, I, I'm starting power forward. That's part of my job. You know, a big part of my job is to get on the glass. And Tennessee just busted South Carolina up on the glass as a team. I mean, Olivier had 10, but uh, it was a 46-21 edge. And I don't know that I've ever seen that in, in conference play. And as a result, Tennessee is, by a pretty wide margin now, uh, owns the, the best rebounding average 
margin in the SEC, almost two two rebounds per game better than um, Alabama in number two. They're plus 10 and change. And I would not have have thought that about this team. In fact, you know, preseason, that would have been one of my concerns about this team is, you know, do they have enough size of brawn in, in the paint to really, you know, hold their own against the better teams on the schedule? Because you look at, you know, Euros is, is not an elite rebounder. Olivier has not been an elite rebounder. And you didn't know what you were going to get from Adu. And, um, but they, they've, They've gotten it done largely by committee, but man, if if Jonas is going to show up and consistently, you know, do what he has, what he did against Mississippi or against Ole Miss, um, that, that he's a game changer. And Awaka, I I don't I don't I need to look up and see exactly how many minutes he, he's he's averaging. But Awaka is like seventh in the SEC in offensive rebounds, and he's got some you know he's got some DMPs on his uh, you know on his stat sheet and. Rarely plays even ten minutes a game, but he is like he is like eighth or ninth in the league in offensive rebounds, which is Rob, incredible. Rob, I'm going to steal Kevin's question here because he wants to know: about, Is this one of the deepest, or is this Rick Barnes's deepest team at, at Tennessee? I'm going to ask it this way: it, Can Rick Barnes be comfortable playing ten guys in, in SEC play on, on a regular basis, Rob? Because that's kind of where I mean, Eric rattled them off off the top of the show. I mean. They're about they about have two starting fives right now. Absolutely, I mean I, I think it is his deepest team, and I think he I wouldn't have guessed this about him, Hubbard. And we we kind of joke about it, you know, uh, from time to time about he, he's just not going to play eight guys, he's not going to play nine guys. But I, I think he is comfortable with it. I think Tobey has made him has forced that. Jemai Meshack has forced that. They were two guys, and I don't I don't think Tobey was on anybody's mind back in in October. Is hey this you know this kid's going to play 10, 12, 13 minutes a game for us. Now, now Jemai had was really pushing that way going back to, to the summer. But I think Tobey has been a complete surprise. And I, I think it's a 10-man rotation. I mean, and I, you know, don't take this the wrong way. I'm not a Euro shader. But out of the 10 guys that are playing, I mean, who would you take away minutes from? I mean, I would I could probably stand to see Tobey play a few more over over Eurosh, but it's not like he's been bad. I just think that, you know, Tobey's potential excites you there. I mean and I posted this on our board. I mean, think about the five guys Tennessee's bringing off the bench. You got Josiah, you've got Adu, you got Awaka, you got Meshack, and you got Ziegler. I mean, who has a better starting five in the SEC than the five guys Tennessee's bringing off the bench? Well, <laughs> you're exactly right. I mean, now the, the the counter to that for some people is saying, you know, Mississippi State's not very good offensively. South Carolina, as you mentioned, is one of the worst teams, if not the worst team in the league. Um do, do you have to be careful that you don't have fools go from Tennessee the, the last three games? Or, I mean, we know they're not going to shoot 65%. But, but Rob, is there – how much better, I guess, do you feel about where this team's heading right now, uh, particularly offensively, even though they haven't played, quote, the elite in the SEC? I don't think you can ignore who they have done this against. But also and, – and I can't take credit for this stat, but I did ask for UT Sports Info to do some research, and they got, they got back with me. First time since 1965 that Tennessee has won co- two conference games back-to-back by 30-plus. So I, there's been a lot really? of bad teams since 1965. First time they have been 30-plus. Wow. I mean, that's I – mean, I, I wouldn't have guessed that. I, I would have figured Grant and Admiral did that when they got on that hot streak there a couple of years ago. They blew out Georgia and Knoxville and whatever. Interesting stats. So since I mean, so you said 65? Since 65. Wow. Almost 50 years. Excuse me, almost sixty years. So That's I mean, insane. so so yes, you can't ignore who they who they've done it against, but also I mean that's a pretty 
that's pretty impressive. And you know, I mean, South Carolina could have been worse. <laughs> yeah. Easily, I mean, that's, that's a bad basketball team. Yeah, and again, I just the defense is just going to be there when they make shots. They're going to be hard to handle, really hard to handle. And my last defensive note: look at what they've done against other teams' best players. And this is a credit to the coaching staff and to the kids for executing the game plan. G.G. Jackson came into that game averaging almost 17 points a game, fourth in the SEC, scoreless, didn't make a shot. Um, Tolu Smith, Mississippi State, came in averaging 15 points a game. They're Mississippi State's leading scorer. He gets nine points and only gets six shots up in the whole game. Matthew Morrell, Tennessee, goes to Ole Miss. He's averaging 16 points a game. He goes one for 11 from the floor, scores five points. So if you're going to beat Tennessee, you better have somebody – besides your you know your, your best player that can step up and, and, and take some pressure off because they're going to take that guy out. Rob, last thing I got for you here, uh, a, a two-parter. One's from um, uh, from Big Oil here. Fully healthy, who's your starting five right now? Of course, you have you have Josiah that's not even in the starting five because he's not fully healthy, but fully healthy. And then two, uh, Tyreek Key, he's starting to shoot the ball a little bit more. He went through a stretch there where he just wasn't shooting. But w- w- what's with Tyreek Key right now? He's the one that just doesn't seem to have it clicking. Yeah, I think he's still a little reluctant. I think he's still, you know, I think he's in a different role. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's too big for Tyreek. Um, I, I think he's a good player. I think he's, you know, still just trying to, to blend in. And, you know, I think he's been the, the first or second best player on and every team he's ever played on going back to high school. And now, you know, he's just a guy. And, and I think that's a tough transition. As far as the starting five, I, I don't want I'm not ducking it. I think it's, I think it's better to ask who, what five would you want on on the floor in the last three minutes of a two point game, and for me that's Santi, that's Ziegler, that's Josiah, um, that's Jonas Adu. I don't know if everybody would agree with that, and Olivier, and I could, I would be fine if you wanted to take, put Julian on there in, in place of somebody. I, that would that would be the, the the tough tough one for me to leave off, and I, and it also depended on the matchup. I would I could take Jonas out. Put Olivia at the five, Josiah at the four, and and put Julian in the, in the backcourt with Zakai and Santi. Rob, appreciate it, man. Tennessee is thirteen and two, three and zero in SEC play at Vanderbilt for a nine p.m. Eastern time tip on Tuesday, Woo-hoo! and then at home. Granted, they just got waxed and they're not playing good basketball, but it's still Kentucky that's coming up on Saturday at noon. Appreciate it, Rob, and we'll uh, we'll be looking forward to your coverage all week long. All right, guys, thanks. It's so Rob Lewis, VolQuest.com, and Austin Price is going to join us here in just a second, breaking down a busy week of Tennessee transfer portal targets who were on hand taking visits. More on that in a moment when the Rockies Out Rewind returns. Got about 15 minutes left here on tonight's Rocky Top Rewind here at VolQuest.com and on the VolQuest YouTube channel. As the graphic says below me, let's hit that thumbs up button. Let's get this to 500 likes. Get it in front of more Tennessee fans. We do it every single Sunday night right here at VolQuest.com and on the YouTube channel. Brent Hubs, I'm Eric Kane. Austin Price now joins us, and it's been a busy week for Tennessee in terms of entertaining some visits from the transfer markets. Uh, you have Dante Thornton, you have Omar Norman Lawn. Both of those guys are going to set commitment have, have set commitment times for Monday. Uh, what does Tennessee feel about those two guys and others leaving the weekend via the transfer portal? Yeah, I think Tennessee is uh, trending in the right direction and has been for quite some time for both. Um, you know, I, I think that I would still put Tennessee as the team to beat 
as John Campbell exits his Florida visit. Um, you know, uh, having talked to some people uh, late on Sunday night, it, it just, you know, I wouldn't call it done yet. Uh, you know, I think this thing can still go, um, you know, either way. But, uh, you know, it, it, it feels like Tennessee's kind of held off Florida, as we said here at uh, 846 on the Sunday night. So, again, lock and change. Get, you know, Justin Williams-Thomas committed to Stanford and flipped to Cal. You know, so, I mean, like, it, it just because you – just because you pick a school don't mean you, you end up there. You still got to get them, you know, either signed or get them to class, which Tennessee didn't start class till the 23rd. So, um, you know, still a long way to go, but it certainly feels like Tennessee's had some positive momentum on the transfer front uh, uh, over the weekend. I will say this. Uh, did, did we think that Rob's – was that a Thomas Kincaid behind Rob earlier? I mean, had he been smoking a pipe? I mean, he just kind of looked like he had smoked like Grandpa's pipe. You know, you know, maybe read a book. You know, he was like in, he was in, Dick, maybe. Yeah, it was like in Grandpa's study, right? Like, like <laughs> when you go to your grandparents' house, they, they got they got the study and the and, and whatever or, or that sacred room you weren't supposed to go into. Remember, everybody had one of those rooms that Grandma closed the door. You weren't allowed to play in there because it, it was um, it, it was pristine and had the plastic <laughs> runner on the floor covering up and protecting the carpet. Yeah, a lot of things going on. In that in that room there, so it felt like he was sitting like on a couch that like grandma like you know does sewing on, and, and all of a sudden you sit down like a pen like from like you know like she laid down there and it got got into the fabric all of a sudden sticks you yeah. <laughs> so let's let's talk a little bit about um, you mentioned where, where Tennessee's at with, with let's start at the receiver position okay with with with, with Thornton if that's where they end up going what what do you like about his game Austin what do you see what how would you describe him to fans who are trying to figure out if he ends up at Tennessee, what they're getting? A legit six four, you know, six four and a half, tall, rangy, um, you know, can really run. You know, I, I I don't get caught up in the whole like. Well, I mean, he, you know, he he wasn't the best receiver at Oregon. Like, like it doesn't matter. Like Jalen Hyatt wasn't the best receiver here a year ago. You know, I mean, like, you, you, you go get guys that have certain attributes. Hype loves guys that can run. When he was at Missouri, what he, he loved Emmanuel Hall. Emmanuel Hall didn't have great hands. But if you run right by somebody and you're catching basically routes on air, it doesn't matter. So, I mean, like, you know, he, he's tall. He can run. And, and could, you know, be a nice combo guy. Like Jalen Hyatt, while he played the slot, slid outside for the Vanderbilt game and didn't miss a beat. So, like. I think that that's kind of where, you know, Dante Thornton is, is someone who can definitely play the slot, can slide right outside of his 6'4 frame and doesn't miss a beat. Uh, so, you know, just adding depth to the receiver room, adding talent to the receiver room, and, and a guy that, you know, a year from now you could look up and go, man, I'm you know, I'm so glad Tennessee got that guy if you're a fan. So, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, carries himself a certain way. Smart kid. I thought both kids that were here this weekend um, carry themselves really well and and are very intelligent. Yeah, he's as you pointed out, every bit of six foot four, if not taller. You know, doing the you know interview today, I had to you know I'm I'm not the tallest guy, but I had to I had to turn the camera up a little bit. Same question, but for Omar Norman Lott, and this is a guy that's you know Tennessee's Tennessee knows all about him. He was in the transfer portal a year ago, ended up staying at uh, Arizona State, but he come, came on a visit. Uh, leaving town as well um you know where, where's Tennessee at with him and obviously uh, what's a little bit more about the Arizona State defensive lineman Omar Norman Lott well again a smart kid high motor kid um you know plays a certain way um 
you know, plays the kind of way that Rodney Garner likes, you know, just kind of loves to work, uh, loves to dive in. Rodney recruited him, as you said, Eric, um, a year ago when he went in the portal and he ended up staying. So when he went in this year, um, didn't blink and went right back after him again. And the kid's from Sacramento, California. And, uh, you know, you know, he, he carries himself a certain way for a Northern Cali kid. And, you know, again, very smart. He's only 20. Um, but, you know, in my talks with him, you know, I was very impressed by kind of just, you know, the way he thinks, um, you know, the conversation he could carry. And so, um, you know, I, I think that he's someone who can definitely help the room as Tennessee starts to find their stride in the defensive line room under Rodney Garner. Again, Bryce and Eason started to come on, had a nice orange bowl. You know, you know what you're getting, you know, at a big O. And then so if you continue to bring some of these guys on and you add some pieces like an Omar Norman lot, you know, Tennessee's, Tennessee's defensive line room, Tennessee's linebacker room, and the Tennessee's, you know, defensive backs room feels more Josh Heupel, Tim Banks-ish than it does previous staff trying to conform some guys like it has the last couple of years. And again, he is interior, right? He's, he's shade three tech. He's not a, he's not yeah. an outside guy. No, he's not an outside guy. He, I, could he slide out there if they needed him to? I do think so. I think he's got enough twitch to him. Um, but, yeah, he's a three technique. Austin, when you look at Tennessee's roster, how much more movement – and I'm not asking for names, but but do you think more movement's coming in terms yes. of exiting for Tennessee? And, and when, when's your timeline for any of that? Well, it's got to be this week. I mean, you have until the 16th to get in. So, you know, I, when, when I kind of look at it, I do think there's some more – um, some more shakeups. I think they're likely on the defensive side of the ball. And so, you know, what do, uh, you know, a player to do? Does, does one or two guys go to the portal? Does, you know, someone declare for the draft who's older, who, you know, um, I think that's possible too. It, it, it does not feel like, you know, Juju Mitchell will be back. Um, and we've said that for several weeks now. It, you know, I, I think that there's, bound to be some type of movement, uh, you know, on the defensive side besides him uh, sometime this week. Here's a question here from Derek uh, on if Tennessee were to get Dante Thornton. He's going to announce his commitment somewhere tomorrow at 1 o'clock Eastern time, uh, you know, getting him in the boat. If he were to get touches, would that take away from Brew McCoy, from Ramel Keaton? It's kind of one of those situations where Ramel Keaton did everything that was asked of him, and, and he might be a guy that will see playing time diminish if he were to come to Tennessee, but that's a good problem to have, right, Austin? Well, it is. I, I think that it can, you know, probably hurts both a little bit, um, you know, because, again, I think he can play either or. Um, the one guy I don't think it hurts is Baru McCoy, um, but I, I do think it gives you options, um, you know, heading into the 2023 season. Again, uh, Dante's a kid that can really run. That's something that uh, that Hypo loves. And, uh, you know, Tennessee, you know, from the get-go, you know, had him and Hypo had him as their top receiver target. Austin, Greg Sankey was advocating for the early signing period to be pushed back, saying it's too much stress for you know college head coaches with fishing out the, the early signing period, with coaching for bowl games, potentially playoffs, transfer portal window opening up, all that and more, pretty much advocating for that to be pushed back. And you're going to be pushing good coaches away and into retirements or to the NFL and that's what he was advocating in an on three article earlier today. What are your thoughts on that? Kind of where do you think that, you know, this thing will ultimately be in the next couple of years? This is now what the the fourth or fifth year of the early signing period. Yeah, it, the Jeremy Pruitt class was the, his first year in 2018. Was the first year. Yeah. Um, 
it, it, he's right. You're, you're going to have college coaches looking to either early retire or if they've made the, a nice chunk of money or go to the NFL way more often than stick around in college because of the combination of early signing period and NIL and transfer portal and all that. What I think they've got to do is, is either go back to one, put it in February or go to August one and then February. And, and that, that takes a little pressure off because he's right. Like if you're a team that makes the playoffs and now instead of four, there's going to be 12 going forward, which means in this league, you know, basically about 30 of your league is going to be in the playoffs. You're, you, how are you supposed to get your team ready for either a road game in the first round or a home game in the first round? Try to finish out recruiting. Try to go on the road recruiting. Try to handle transfer portal stuff, whether it's people leaving your program, coming into your program. I mean, it, it is a bit ridiculous what they're asking out of these coaches. Now, don't get me wrong. I get it. Shane Beamer's making $6.5 million now. Like, you know, everybody's going to say, well, he can just tough it out. I mean, yes, I get they get paid well. But, like, the the amount of helter-skelter nonsense they put up with on the whole is, is kind of out there anyway. It's only getting worse when you add in all these different factors. So I think, again, either just go to February 1 or first Wednesday in February like the old days, or if you want to still have two, go August 1. Because, I mean, how many kids would have signed in August that Tennessee had in the boat? Don't you think most of this class would have signed? Most of Clemson's class would have signed? Most of Georgia's class would have signed August 1? Everything gets sped up. It goes earlier and earlier and earlier and earlier. A few years ago, it was taboo to take a April and June official visit weekend. I think that first year was like Wanye and, and a couple others um, did that. Now, I mean, basically the whole class took their visits in June. Well, and I think that I think that beckons the question when you look at this, and you've heard Josh Heupel talk about, you know, the calendar needs fixing. You know, how do you fix the calendar? What do you do to the calendar in recruiting? If they go to just the February date, do they curtail spring official visits? Do, do you do you table that measure where you lighten up the spring for coaches? Because one of the issues with the calendar is there's there's not really a break in there. And listen, recruiting never stops. You're always going to make phone calls. But now you're talking about you finish spring practice and you host official visitors in the month of May. <laughs> do, do I mean June? It, right. So if you go with the boat, you know, if you go with that August date or even September one, all of that's going to continue. If you go back to the old way, do you curtail? You know, do coaches back off of those visits because they say, you know what, that that's that's nine months between official visit and signing your paper. We want to wait and visit that later. Does that help the calendar more? Than the two dates do. I don't know the answer to that. I'm asking aloud. No, I think what you you bring up it makes a lot of sense. Now again, I think if you do the two, then then you absolutely have to allow the official visits. Oh yeah, it's game on. Has to um, now, but if you go back to one, you're right. Think about think about Arion Carter. Had Tennessee, you know, went the route of what Arion wanted, which was to officially visit the end of October, they probably don't get Arion Carter. But they they got their way, even though the kid originally said. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not taking any December officials. Then all of a sudden he, he told Tennessee he would. Then Alabama said, wait a minute, you know, if you're going to do that for them, you got to do it for us. And so then all of a sudden he was doing it then. And, you know, I, I think you would see more along those lines, especially for kids that were real battles. Um, I don't think you would waste the official visit, um, you know, in the summertime if a kid can't sign till February. Yep. 
the other interesting thing about Arian Carter is if you had an early signing date, he might have signed with Memphis and never gotten recruited at the power. There you at the go. Power five level You're right. Back. You're exactly right. I mean, you know, playing so running back. There, there's all kinds of pros and cons and everything out there. The, the bottom line, though, is I think we would all agree. December's silly. De- December is, is 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 just dang near impossible to manage, and it's only going to get harder to manage, as you said, Austin. When you know a quarter of your conference or third of your conference is, is preparing for playoff games, I don't know how you manage December. I just don't. Awesome. Last thing, what's the schedule? Uh, the portal windows closing. Um, you know, what's kind of that schedule coming up this week and, and the weeks advance? When can Tennessee start hosting more? Of visitors from the portal next weekend like they, they can host official visitors next weekend they just can't have any this week like everybody's dead right now through the week um to kind of give everybody a break coaches are off this week uh, as much as a coach can be off um you know then they'll go to the they'll be at the some of them will be at the coaches convention some of them will not and um you know they can be have back having you know visitors next weekend that are out of the portal and then um any kid that wants to go to the portal has to declare by the 16th. I mean, you don't have to pick a school by then. You just got to be in the portal by January 16th. And then it closes again until that small window in uh, April, right after spring practice. So Tennessee right now has had, if I remember this correctly, nine players enter the portal. Tennessee so far has had four commits from the portal. Potentially, you could add on to that the first of this week. We'll have to manage and see if any more Tennessee players will go to the portal by Friday. It's going to be a busy week. More roster management. That's stuff all the coaches have to pay attention to. And when we're talking about you know what they get paid and everything, it's more GM stuff than being a head football coach. But, hey, that is the era of college football. That's going to do it here for the Rocky Top Rewind here on a Sunday night. Lawson Price, Brent Hubbs. I am Eric Kane. Big thanks to Rob Lewis and Matt Ray for jumping on as well. And most of all, thank you for watching, hanging out with us here today or listening wherever you find your podcast. Be sure to like this video if you're watching it. Hit that thumbs up. Hit that heart. Help us get to 500 likes. And if you haven't already, please help us out. Subscribe to the BallQuest YouTube channel uh, by just hitting that button at the top of the page. Uh, For the guys, I'm Eric Kane. We'll be back with the BallQuest Monday night chat coming up tomorrow. Plenty of coverage. We'll have the BallQuest podcast Tuesday, the mailbag Thursday. All that and more, that's all coming up this week at VolQuest.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.